0: You're listening to Pod Me If You Can. This is Pod Me If You Can. Movie reviews by David and Lloyds. An Australian podcast on your favorite movies. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com.
1: Welcome to PodMe If You Can, I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd Hughes. Today's film is Sausage Party, starring Seth Rogen, Michael Cera, Kristen Wiig, and many, many more. Uh, the film is new to DVD, iTunes, etc. Just a heads up, we'll of course be talking about the film with spoilers. We're talking about Sausage Party, which is the most commercially successful R-rated animated film of all time, Lloyd. Uh, there seems to be some division about whether or not this worked online. We've actually covered a few Seth Rogen films now, haven't we, Lloyd? I mean, This Is The End, which was episode 68 of Me If You Can, and Bad Neighbours, which was episode 92. Tell me something. If you looked back at all the episodes of Me If You Can, which actor do you think we've favoured the most?
0: Which actor we've covered in movies the most? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, Tom Cruise? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I found an actor we've covered, or he's... Featured in films that nine of the episodes we've done. We have covered some Tom Cruise, but it's not Tom Cruise. I'm sure he's a contender. Chris Hemsworth. Oh, of course. I mean, he's Avengers 1 and 2, Snow White and the Huntsman. We did Rush. We covered Ghostbusters, which he's in. He's in Doctor Strange, if you want to count that.
0: Black Hat.
1: Thor, Black Hat, and uh, Star Trek Into Darkness. Yeah, so we seem to favour
0: him. But what, what role did he play in Star Trek Into Darkness?
1: Well, he was Kirk's dad, so... Oh, right, right. Flashbacks, voiceover, things like that. Though, though apparently they want him for a, a new Star Trek where he's, you know, featured more heavily, like, you know, a prequel kind of thing. Or else it could be some kind of time travel business, you know? I mean, they want him for a bigger role. And, I mean, if you've got Chris Hemsworth on board already, he's already featured, and he enjoys the franchise... Why not?
0: Yeah, hell, it worked for Ghostbusters.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, a lot of people probably watched it because they thought, and Chris Hemsworth. It was an addition, you know? We'll focus on Seth Rogen here. Did you enjoy Sausage Party?
0: Well, uh, despite Japanese anime movies which I love, there aren't any Pixar level movies made for adults, so there isn't any competition for this movie. It's a it's a triumph how this film got made. Seth Rogen and his team, I heard, tried to get this film made for nearly a decade, and then they spent when they finally did get it made, they spent like four years animating it, and it paid off. It was a huge success, as you said. I think um, I read made for 19 million and grossing around about 100 40, 150 million, which is fantastic for a crude adult animated movie. I I thought the animation looked fantastic. I think the animators did a great job. I read some reviews that compared this animation to Toy Story 1. That is to say, that it's no way on the same level as the modern Pixar films. But that is still pretty damn good if you ask me to be compared to Toy Story 1. That's really, really good animation. Uh, A lot of the expressions by the characters were really well done. Some great detail was going on there. And it felt like they were trying to pack the frame with as much humour as possible. The biggest problem with Sausage Party to me is that it wasn't that funny. The, the main jokes in the movie are cursing and food puns. It, its main driving force is that it's a Pixar-level animated movie that has all the characters swearing. It plays on all racial stereotypes and puts it up to 11, which is hilarious. For a few minutes, don't get me wrong, I found it really funny, and then it quickly ran out of steam for me. I was thinking, is this going to be it for 90 minutes, food puns and swearing? I think I had watched this, if I had watched this with a group of friends or in a packed movie theatre, I would have enjoyed it a lot more. But watching it at home by myself, the, the jokes were running out of steam for me. Uh, and I hate to say it, I'm just not that big of a fan of Seth Rogen. I was going back through his uh, filmography, and I, I can laugh him i do find him uh his jokes funny but as his movies those stoner movies like pineapple express and so forth wasn't it's not really my thing you know
1: well i think that he has a core audience because if you look back at the last few films he's done let's uh, go back to just the guilt trip for example 2012 5.8 out of 10 this is the end 6.7 out of 10 in 2014 neighbors gets 6.4 out of 10 the Night Before, 6.5 out of 10, Neighbours 2, 5.8 out of 10, The Interview, 6.6 out of 10, and Sausage Party's currently 6.4 out of 10. So he can't seem to crack that 7 out of 10 in the last, you know, uh, six films he's been in.
0: But the mo- the money speak for itself, like 140 yeah. million return from 19 million. He-, he doesn't ask for, like a lot of his movies, the demand for the budget isn't huge it's the driving force uh, is the comedic actors and is the slapstick Um, so I think he can get if you're if me and you are investing in Seth Rogen films, we're in a pretty good state, you know, it doesn't require that much input of money and you're getting a great return.
1: Yeah, I agree. Very bankable. I've got that figure as well, the 19 million made 140. Oh, 140, sorry, yeah. Yeah, so far, it's now out on DVD. Mostly what I'm thinking there is that he's kind of a genius for doing this first, getting the, the food, the food talking food movie, really. It looks like there's
0: going to be a sequel as well.
1: It does, yeah. We'll talk about that in a minute. I've written here as well, was this funny or just amusing? Because so many of the jokes, I didn't laugh out loud. I did feel like it was fun and it was amusing, but I think our mistake here, Lloyd, and probably the better podcast would have been if we'd both gotten stoned and then watched the (laughs) film. (laughs) Yeah. So maybe that's the mistake. Maybe 6 point something out of 10 is right if you're not stoned, but these are all 10 out of 10 movies if you're stoned even the guilt trip might be 10 out of 10. With the uh, addition of marijuana,
0: yeah, I, I've I've got a couple of stoner friends, and they love Pineapple Express. They talk that movie so much. So they took that movie so much to me, like how awesome it was and everything. And I finally watched it, and I was like, "Oh man, this is terrible! I didn't laugh at <laughs> all. This is a horrible action film." And then I just thought about it and went, "Well, Seth Rogen knows what he's doing. He, I, I understand the type of people who go watch his movies. He's got that audience there, and they they all enjoy it and they have a lot of fun." So. There, there, there is an audience out there for his films for sure.
1: Did you see the interview? No,
0: I didn't see the interview.
1: Maybe we should do the interview. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's only six point something out of ten, as I said. But you know, there's uh, a lot to like in that one as well. But it does hit all that kind of Seth Rogen and James Franco are working together kind of uh, buddy movies.
0: You've been uh, following Seth Rogen and his team since the get go, haven't you? You've been like, I'm not saying you're a, a fan or anything like that, but you've hey, just. I-
1: I don't mind them. My wife really likes uh, Knocked Up, 40-Year-Old Virgin, sort of that era, because as well, I was at the movies uh, working during those times. You know, I've seen all those films and I've seen audiences respond to those films. So I guess I have a real nostalgic kind of happy uh, vibe about them as well. You know, you see the jokes play over and over again when you check out people in cinemas. When you walk through with a torch, you know, you hear which jokes land. And it reaffirms, I suppose, that... um, you know, that was actually very funny, you know, and you, you anticipate some jokes and watch the audience jump and move and, yeah, it's a, it's a different experience. I also watched Sausage Party at home. Uh, I did watch it with the wife, but without that big audience, there were so many more kind of, we'd glance at each other and go, oh, yeah, that's funny, you know, that's amusing kind of, you know, we we obviously we can accept the fact that it's funny, but neither of us felt the need to just burst out laughing, um, even heading towards the end. Uh, When we do a comedy on this podcast, Lloyd, I always feel like there's the danger that we'll just be listing jokes we liked. I think we did a bit of that with Anchorman 2, you know? Just it was us unpacking what we've just seen by just listing off all the fun, you know, without not doing that. I mean, let's happily do that now. Our leads in this film, one resembles a penis and one resembles a vagina.
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: (laughs) So there's obviously, like... Visual jokes as well as the clever underlying stuff. Um, you know, they say things like they touch tips, you know, when has this ever hurt anybody? She says, look how tight I am. You know, there's a lot of stuff there just for the kind of dick and fart jokes as well. What'd you think of the Sammy Bagel Jr. and uh, Kareem Abdul Lavash?
0: <laughs> well, a lot of critics are saying that Sausage Party is full of thought smart about something deep and has legitimate interests in theological debate and some of the directors themselves have said this movie explores deeper themes if that's what legitimate critics thinks thinks and this is really what um, we're talking uh, New York Times and so forth, praising the film for its deeper uh, analogies and so forth. Then I think discourse on theology and religion has gone all the way down the drain in cinema. (laughs) I don't think this film is an attack on religion, but it does reek of a moral high ground attitude and philosophical snobbery that just comes across as really shallow. The movie's attitude towards religion is summed up in its opinion on the Middle East Sammy the Bagel voiced by Edward Norton and Vasha which is a piece of Lebanese bread I'm assuming, voiced by David Crumholtz, who both argue about living in their isle uh, together, it is suggested by Frank, um, Seth Rogen that it seems like a pretty big aisle. can't they just share it? And then they both laugh at him and then at the end of course after defeating the gods they all give in to their bisexuality in one massive orgy, which I thought was pretty hilarious, but just a little too late for me. Too little too late. <laughs> uh, this is I, I think that's an awful comment on one of the most politically complex subjects in modern times, which is the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. I know the creators can always pull the parachute that it's only a stoner movie designed to make you laugh, but if critics, and for that matter some of the writers and creators of this movie, say that this has deeper themes i'm I'm trying to say it clearly doesn't. It has many shallow and very poor ideas that and it pretends to be smart. And I know this is going to be a really unfair comparison, but a movie like Breaking the Waves by Lars von Trier at least has a really delicate balance of strict, fanatical religious characters, the rationalism of the modern doctors and nurses, and the actual universe of the film itself is devoid of spirituality. But the simplistic or mad beliefs of the main character, who's played by Emily Watson, s- seems really sin- sincere and closer to humanity, which brings the character to a heartbreaking piece. And that is a level of truth and venture of the human condition, which I don't think Sausage Party has any understanding of at all. And also the 1928 film Passion of Joan of Arc by Carl Theodore Dreyer pits institutional religion against personalised faith. The film is a great silent portrayal of spirituality. Yes, I did just compare Sausage Party to Lars von Trier's Breaking the Waves and Dreyer's Passion of Joan of Arc. It's unfair, I know, but I'm just trying to say that the pillars of celebration that this film receives is that it does have some depth in regards to its religious commentary, but I have to completely disagree. I think it's a very shallow, very upper-middle-class stoner mentality. To me, it was just really silly, and it wasn't funny, a lot of those comments. It just became a sense of moral elitism. Religion and politics is an extremely difficult subject that requires deep consideration and discussion. It was touched so elegantly in films by Tarkovsky, Bergman, Dreyer, and some recent examples of, course, um, Lars von Trier, Martin Scorsese, even David Cronenberg with Existence and so forth. For Sausage Party to be praised so widely for its deep religious views just shows how poor modern discourse is on religion and cinema. I don't think it's a healthy thing at all.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're trying to make it palatable, pardon the pun, because it's food related, trying to make it palatable for the modern audience. You know, I mean, this clickbait world we live in, you have to dress up the message in Sausage Party, you know that <laughs> people will watch this uh, dick and fart and vagina movie and get a lesson in ethics or in uh, religion is kind of the way they have to do it these days. Interestingly, you know uh, the the journey to the great beyond and the fact that there's gods and stuff is hitting right on the head of religion. Um, and an afterlife, and you know um, the beliefs between even the the two leads, um, you know the bun and the and the you know Frank the Frankfurt, or whatever he is, you know he is more of an atheist saying there's nothing after this, and she believes blindly with faith. It's interesting, like having the two of them argue like that, you know you don't necessarily see too many kind of because of political correctness, you don't see too many arguments like that in cinema. So it's sort of dressed up and I can appreciate how people are happy to see something like that on the screen and that this does have another layer, like a depth to it, because if this was just uh, fucking between foods and a food horror movie and stuff.
0: I disagree. I think the film would have worked perfectly fine without the religious uh, metaphors and everything like that. It would have just been much more straightforward. Uh, A lot of critics saying by having... That element makes it just just gives it a little bit of a layer. But I, I disagree. I just think it was so shallow that it just didn't need it. To, it should have just been a straightforward stoner comedy movie and just really embraced that without trying to be that, I don't know, that uh, philosophical high ground it was sort of going for at the end.
1: I mean, there's not much you can play. They, they, they toured this film around all the talk shows and they played the same clips over and over again, because there was so little they could actually include. So much of it was inappropriate, R-rated, you know, and that hid a lot of the message and the, I guess, you know, underlying themes because they could only show you this quick kind of... I think they did the horror bit where the uh, baby carrots get eaten and
0: stuff. Yeah, they they did that quite a bit, particularly with the peeling of the potato.
1: And getting washed beforehand, the Irish potato. (laughs) It, It was interesting stuff. For me, one of the interesting things was the villain, the douche, (laughs) who essentially, like, juiced up by sort of raping with oral sex kind of a juice box. And then he anally controls a human uh, after trying to get in there with a woman. The thing that I thought of, and I know this wasn't the intention at the time, South Park uh, has recently been doing like a Trump-Clinton joke all season. And they've been referring to the clinton character as the turd sandwich and to the trump character as the giant douche have you been watching this latest season at all
0: yeah of course
1: so the giant douche i was thinking wow <laughs> their villain is a douche this also now is relevant and has kind of a match with trump even <laughs> i was thinking like wow this is a uh, even got levels it didn't know it could have. I feel like whenever there is a Seth Rogen movie, they like to talk about Hitler and stuff too, if they can. And this, I mean, obviously this is even bigger in like *Inglorious Bastards, like a film like that where they get to rewrite history. The Hitler character in this trying to get the juice, which is a obvious kind of uh, pun. At the end in the orgy scene, did you see the juice was raping Hitler?
0: (laughs) No, I didn't see that.
1: It was, uh, I mean, you know, possibly sodomizing the Hitler condiment or whatever he was at the end. For me as well, the orgy is the funniest part, you know, that they all let their inhibitions go and and decide not to be in the packets anymore. Yeah, not to
0: be sexually suppressed and just let let it all go.
1: Yeah, which was the funniest part. It did come quite late, and apparently there's an eight-minute version of that. Like, that obviously feels like too much, but... um, (laughs) Yeah, Uh, did you go through and like frame by frame type pause? No, did you? I thought about it, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, um, th-
0: with that animation, they have the strength of just packing the frame with as much humour as possible. So I'm not surprised. Like, obviously, it was so confronting. Like, oh, my gosh, immediately, they're all having sex and it just builds up and ramps up and up and up and it just becomes hilarious. I just didn't have the time. Like, obviously, watching it a second and third time, you'd pick up on the second and third layers of jokes there. But the the I was just caught up with the initial reaction, going, whoa, what's happening now?
1: I was a bit off-put. By the fact that he was an uncooked sausage. And I realise this is a very small thing, but the sort of metaphor and the thing they say where they're not being fresh, you know, that they're not fresh food anymore, that seemed to kind of go out the window at some point. Well, a lot
0: of the mythology was really confusing here. Like, there is a pizza that his legs have been cut off and it, how many tomatoes must have been chopped up to to and died to make that pizza? Why aren't the shopping carts alive? Like I, I was thinking about those things: Are the shopping carts all of a sudden going to start talking? Is the building going to start talking? The the very shtick of how it's a metaphor on religion is, seems to not work as well because the gods in this world do exist and must be feared and fought against, but no longer worshipped as well. Um, So yeah, some of the metaphors I think worked against it, but um, I I think the strength of playing every stereotype with the douche being a douche and got that, uh, is it um, New Jersey accent? What what kind of accent is that? I'm not too familiar. I couldn't tell you. Yeah. I I was thinking of Jersey Shore. Well, because of, Just because of the roids thing. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know why that popped in there. I've never seen Jersey Shore, but I am aware of it. And it, it was just a really good idea to have a douche literally as a douche and then played by that actor, voiced by that actor, and then, of course, getting a kind of roid rage. That was a really good sense of humour.
1: The meatloaf stuff I thought was really funny, to have the visual of meatloaf and obviously use his song with that fantasy sequence where he's imagining the bun played by Kristen Wiig meeting up with an eggplant or whatever else, and experimenting, you know, as she was sort of threatening to do. That scene ended really abruptly, though, and there was something off with the editing of that scene. Uh, really took me out of the film.
0: Yeah, well, they lose the the main antagonist is of is the juice, and it builds up is the douche, sorry, and it builds up to a showdown between him, obviously, and uh, Frank, but he gets sort of lost in the world like the film sort of uh obviously we get the which i thought it was hilarious the guy taking bath salts and he's able to communicate with the food that that yeah. to me was the funniest scene in the movie just that was world. james franco that was yeah. james franco yeah by giving way to a lot of those religious aspects that the film wanted to venture into and maybe a bit too much of the bath salt scenes and so forth they lost um the the main villain and then when he comes in at the end you're like oh that's right he's still around they got to deal with him
1: you mentioned the mythology um the fire water character and the unperishables you know the twinkie and so forth last forever that they made up the song that was changed over the years i guess that's kind of like the constitution perhaps but the the thing is there would always be a population who knew about the great beyond being uh bad you know somebody would still always say it even if they had the song and at some point they would all have to be replaced i suppose like at once every bit of stock would have to get out of the store. And be replaced all at once for no one to know about it. Anyway, that just confused me too. <laughs> what about uh, Stephen Hawking-esque gum?
0: And then he gets shot, and then the he he um like a liquid metal in Terminator 2 forms back. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it was brilliant the idea of. Um, hooking up the bath salts as arrows and shooting it into all the gods just so they can communicate and fight.
1: That worked pretty quickly, didn't it, into the bloodstream, and they ne- didn't miss a single one, <laughs> which is good. if
0: they didn't do that, then they, the gods wouldn't see them. Can't, can't I'm getting confused with mythology here, but can't the food just fight them anyway and take them off and they wouldn't be able to tell what what's happening? Or do they have to be shot with the bath salts for them to engage in battle? I guess they just want to communicate, that's the main thing.
1: The bath salts, I guess when mixed correctly, which, I mean, they had from the druggy guy's house, it allowed them to see the faces and actually understand them, like hear them, which kind of goes a ways to explaining how the douche could control the cashier uh, because he could say, go left, go right, you know, forcing him to do stuff. They all get faces and, I guess, personalities. You remember when we saw the sausage just kind of rolling lifelessly and the baby carrots making a run for it on that counter that's what they look like without bath soaps so it just looks like the food is rolling on its own or uh, lifeless really so the only
0: way to attack and kill the humans is for them to be aware that we're that the food is there well i guess people
1: people have a moment of crisis or whatever when they realize their food is alive it's like uh, when I guess vegetarians think about meat and say, you know, that was once a cow or whatever, you know, gives it kind of, you know, a face and a personality and makes it harder to consume, maybe. You know, if you were holding a bunning sausage and it, you know, crunched up, to a sit up and said, hey man, what's going on? You know, would you bite the sausage? <laughs> uh, so, I mean, they're purchasing all this food, big 4th of July party, and it all comes to life. It's suddenly... Not food anymore, is it? Well, it's a real choice to eat it, I suppose. I think there's been some controversy because of the fruits as well. Calling the fruits basically standing in for the gay food kind of gay food population i guess
0: yeah well to be fair all the uh, ethnic stereotypes get it in this movie so yeah they dish it out well
1: i wasn't sure we needed to see like a talking used condom
0: (laughs) yeah and then the toilet paper's talking as well
1: yeah like you don't want to know what's happened to the toilet paper but like the turd didn't talk even though that was at some point like food (laughs) once it's been through the ringer and now it doesn't you know it's not reactive i suppose yeah yeah no so it was interesting like more inanimate objects perhaps could have been alive you're right um the mythology is confusing but convenient for whatever needs to happen um i didn't mind the fact that the odd sausage you know met the misshapen bun it's kind of this love story within the movie yeah. um they sort of did a nice payoff for it all
0: well the everyone got a good payoff in the end for if you're a food i guess
1: so uh, it says here, Seth Rogen's expressed an interest in making Sausage Party 2 and more animated films aimed at it as adults. And obviously, why wouldn't you? Because now they're bankable. This is like that moment where they realised Daniel Craig was a great Bond and they were like, yeah, we knew <laughs> it's going to be great. And it was. You know, or Passion of the Christ, that's like a big financial success and then boom, let's make a bunch of religious movies. So I feel like we're going to have more animated R-rated films in our future. When he's asked about a sequel, it says, it's something we talk about. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why we took away the original ending. Because we thought, well, if that was the first scene of the next movie, it's probably not what you'd want it to be. Uh, with them just seeing us and finding us basically... But the idea of a live-action animated movie like a Who Framed Roger Rabbit-style hybrid is also very exciting, mostly because Who Framed Roger Rabbit is one of my favourite movies of all time.
0: Yeah, that'd be really interesting.
1: So, like, add the sausages and buns and whoever into the real world and having them meet their voiceover counterparts. So, part live-action, part animation, I suppose. Do you know what the original ending was? No. So, in this one, obviously, they are going to jump through a stargate which sets up that idea that um they'll meet their live action counterparts. Uh originally, I guess they go through that and get eaten by their live action counterparts. At the end, I guess they could have a scene in a diner or something where they find them and jump through and then just get consumed, you know. Um Seth Rogen eats a sausage and <laughs> Kristen Wiig a bun or whatever, you know. Um, So they just eat them, and it's kind of the end. So I guess not having that ending, keeping it more open-ended, does let allow some room for that sequel, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, as a producer, that's exactly the kind of ending you want, especially in this day and age where we're talking about trilogies and you know uh, going upwards of ten now with Fast and Furious uh, series.
1: Man, I. Sausage Party 7, Sausage Party 8. This podcast could go on, couldn't it?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank goodness we didn't start doing the Saw series.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Well, we hadn't started the podcast then. It was odd to break the fourth wall like that and literally show Seth Rogen and Edward Norton in the firewater
0: kind of That was an interesting way for the credit sequence just to um, give tribute to all the actors who voiced... All the um, the main characters. I thought that was a really interesting um, technique.
1: Kind of a cop out, but you know, at that point, I guess they're trusting that you've 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 gone with it enough to to be cool with it. It was fun. Uh, like you say, it wasn't laugh out loud funny.
0: Yeah, to me, it just ran out of jokes. Uh, a a bit the shtick of it just wore thin with me and it ran out of steam and this is a very lean 90 minute animated movie which is a perfect length but to me it was just all pun jokes and of course oh this is a pixar film but it's for adults you know and i didn't find it to be a deeper film like what the writers and a lot of film critics have suggested uh yeah but if you're a seth rogan fan you're gonna absolutely love a uh, sausage party. If you're not a Seth Rogen fan like me, it's, you know, it's it's better off as a short film and you're better off watching all the highlights.
1: <laughs> all right. What about this for a future adult animated film? We open on James Franco. You know, he's walking up to a girl, they're undressing each other, they start having sex. James Franco uh clearly uh finishes, completes, he comes, and then we zoom with super fast motion inside and all of the sperm shooting out are all animated oh my god <laughs> then one of them's obviously like seth rogan it's about which sperm will get to the egg and that is the film i mean what would you call it conception sperm
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> i don't know And it uh, could be
0: really violent, them all taking each other out to get to the egg. Well,
1: I mean, this is the thing. There's a lot of dangers. There's a reason the sperm don't all get to the egg. Along the way, this is the journey. You could even have kind of a scene pre-credits where all the sperm are going, what happens when that opening, whatever, and the suction, you know, then talking about the mythology of what's about to happen. And, uh, you know, of course, there could be scenes where, you know, James Franco's character, who I've, I've just made it James Franco, so he's in the film... It seems plausible as well. But where his character, you know, just jerks off into a hand towel or something and all of those sperm are like, what? What's going on? Yeah, this <laughs> just... is a
0: joke done by Woody Allen in Everything You Wanted to Know About Sex but Was mm. Too Afraid to Ask. And mm-hmm. you got those guys just about as if they're parachuting out of a aeroplane, you know, and they're all afraid just before they I don't know, jump <laughs> off the plane, I guess.
1: And, I mean, the crude animation style of Sausage Party, you can see that working for sperm as well. Yeah. Like little white face on a you know with a tail so
0: i'm picturing you be. right now as homer simpson when he's talking about
1: yeah well wait and see because <laughs> this seems very plausible i mean if you think about an adult animated film i know i'm putting you on the spot but if you think of something adult That seems like a plausible place to jump to. Do you want to pitch something as well?
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, I like a lot of anime movies uh, and they're very violent like Ghost in the Shell and Ninja Scroll and so forth. So those to me are my favourite kind of um, adult anime movies because they can go into the fantasy and show you things like violence maybe and like ideas that are very difficult to showcase. Well, that bridge is getting smaller, and, that gap is sorry, I'm um, coming uh, smaller and smaller now. Of course, with CGI and so forth, but uh, there is still a strong place for anime, and I think uh, the you know manga is doing a terrific job in that area. So to me, it's always great. But what's interesting is if the Ameri- if the Americans start putting uh, as much money as they interject into Pixar films and start making more adult sort of content. I do kind of think that Pixar movies are made for adults anyway. Like, I still cried at the end of Toy Story 3, so they are. there are some adult themes that satisfies me enough. Whether they're willing to go as violent and as sexual and as explicit as Sausage Party um, remains to be seen, of course.
1: Well, next time on the podcast, uh, we'll be covering Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. And we're going to be watching that at midnight, opening night, in Australia, which is like 12.01 on the Thursday, which technically is kind of like Wednesday night Australian time. We'll be recording the podcast right afterwards, and then uh, we'll be uploading it pretty shortly after that. Pretty much, guys, it's a great opportunity to get the jump on Rogue One. Of course, we'll be talking about it with spoilers. We can do a light prediction here, Lloyd. I'm just going to tell you, I don't think many Rebels will survive. (laughs) For me... I think this will be the first Star Wars film where they could kill the lead character, which is Jin, uh, Jin Erso, picking one where basically the Empire wins. You know, this yeah, is going to be.
0: There needs to be some tragedy in this modern climate of Disney films because we're just not seeing enough deaths, and that takes away a lot of the the drama from a lot of films, and of course referencing a lot of the superhero films. Um, There is no excuse not to do that, but it wouldn't surprise me if they kept those characters safe so they can do more spin-offs if Rogue One is a huge success, which I predict it will be.
1: Star Wars fans are going to come out. It's always going to make money. Disney is growing and growing into this uh, massive empire of its own, really. And uh, it's the sausage parties of this world that are (laughs) gonna be the difference. They're the independent animations now, aren't they? I agree, I feel like Gionerso might live in terms of like, so they can keep products and franchises and t-shirts, you know. And that's really disappointing because if the story needs her to die, and I feel like it might, basically the rebels can't steal the plans and all get away with it. That's sort of no conflict and having a standalone story like this we're not going to see Rogue 2 as a sequel this is just one little building block on its own you can do whatever you want in that story
0: yeah i agree you could this could be this has the potential of being one of the best star wars out there because it's not uh, you know it, it doesn't feel like it has to stick to this safeguard of what episode uh seven had you know there was a lot of safeguards excluding of course the death of um harrison ford but there's so many safeguards in that movie that it had to stick to it felt like just to satisfy all the fans and to keep it as bankable as possible rogue one with star wars you're gonna make your money back take some risks You know, Might as well make the best story you can possibly make. And if the story demands that these main characters sacrifice themselves for the greater good, wouldn't that be a very impactful story for the audience? I don't feel it's going to go in that direction. I I really like the director of the film who did Monsters and uh, I think he did Godzilla. Yeah, I I think he's an absolute talent. But whether he gets a lot of room to move in this movie because of how much bankability is in this film and what the franchise means um, to the producers and so forth. I don't think that's going to be the case.
1: Mm. Remains to be seen. We'll have to wait till the 15th of December to find out. For now, thanks for listening to us talk about Sausage Party. You can obviously find all of our back catalogue, including uh, those Seth Rogen films I've mentioned and all those Chris Hemsworth films I mentioned and uh, all the previous episodes we've done at www.podmeifyoucan.com. We've also got a YouTube channel, which has many obscure films with famous stars in them. And uh, I'm halfway through one right now. I've had to pause it to do this episode and uh, I'll be heading back to watch it. I'm just going to tease that it has Jeremy Piven in it, uh, Ari Gold from Entourage, and uh, I'm going to leave it at that because I'm not 100% sure if and when that episode will come out. But yeah, basically, it's fun to dig these up, isn't it, Lloyd?
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: I've got a stack of them. This is the thing. I feel like uh, for as long as new actors become famous and, you know, people come out of the woodwork, they're going to have obscure films which nobody's seen, and therefore this feels like a concept that can go on forever. And if you'd like to join us on our YouTube channel, feel free to subscribe and um, drop us a line and tell us always, we want to know, tell us obscure films with a famous star in them, something nobody's heard of. You can find us on Facebook and everything through the links at PodMeIfYouCan.com.
0: Hit it. Ooh. you for listening. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Pod me if you can. Movie reviews.